0: We have a new Patreon patron and an Instagram follower, Taylor. Taylor Beaver or Bever. Either way, we're just glad you're here. Welcome to the SWG family. We love your support, Taylor. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: If you'd like to get your own shout out on the pod and support us even further, Find us at patreon.com slash sex with ghosts
0: on to the episode. What are we talking about today, Bridget? Are we jumping straight into it? So we did just go see a baseball game together, and this subject somewhat relates to baseball.
1: Oh, yeah. Hopefully you're following us on Twitter and or Instagram, and you saw that we posted a picture of us together, probably the first time we've seen each other in at least two years.
0: It's true. in person. <laughs> But that's a pandemic fault. I uh, I blame the pandemic. Oh, I completely 100% blame the pandemic. But we did go see baseball, which was fun. Yeah.
1: Yes. And we saw one of the most um, anticipated competitive games.
0: Ah, yes. It was a good game.
1: It's a game that my understanding of it indicates who's probably going to make it to the playoffs. And sadly... It's not the Padres, Molly.
0: No, it's not, which is unfortunate because I was a Padres fan, at least for that night. (laughs) I know.
1: I don't know what to do with the promotional hoodie that we got. It was nice and lightweight. Oh, yeah. Well, don't be surprised if you get another one for Christmas.
0: Thanks, Bridget. Would Mike disown you if you wore the Padres hoodie? I think he
1: would feel like there was like an identity crisis happening in his home. Mm,
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: Now I'm thinking I should just wear it to agitate him.
0: Oh, no, don't do it. Which, being a dress
1: and the way you present yourself as a person to other people, that's another thing our topic has in common with this whole Padres
0: Dodgers thing. You know, I feel like that is a commonality between a lot of our episodes. Identity? Presenting false identity, I guess.
1: Oh, that's interesting. That's deep. I know, right? I feel like you could use that for like a dissertation. I feel like a PowerPoint could come from this.
0: Very possible.
1: If someone wants to make that PowerPoint and send it to us, feel free.
0: It'd be fascinating. Actually, I don't really, I
1: don't think I really want to see the analytics of the topics that we discuss.
0: Well... It does start to get a little bit depressing when you look at it as a total of the people of humanity that we cover.
1: Oh, yes. People are a bummer. Right. But isn't that kind of what makes people so darn special?
0: Yes. I was feeling really positive recently and I told Matthew, I like it when people have hobbies because it just seems so wholesome and... It makes me happy for humanity that people can find joy in small things, despite the shit that's going on in the world.
1: Yeah, like you have an activity to do that's not motivated by a monetary outcome.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Like I have found pure joy in doing an activity, and the only thing that motivates me to do it is that joy. But today, well, wait, first... This is Sex with Ghosts, and I'm Bridget, here with the hardest working player in the game, Molly McBreen. Thanks, Bridget. And today, we are doing the fun-loving cult, or mostly fun-loving, there is a
0: dark side, of course, the House of David. Had you heard of this before? I had not but they are definitely fun-loving. It is kind of surprising how fun-loving they are. I was talking
1: to Mike about them, and I was asking him if he had heard about the House of David because of the baseball connection. And if you did not listen to our Billy Goat Chicago Cubs episode, my partner is a huge baseball nut. And what was funny is he was trying to be a snob about it. Like, oh, when did this cult play baseball? And I was like, the 1910s. And he was like, oh, that's way more recent than I thought. (laughs) So I think he felt a little schooled that he had not heard of them.
0: Very nice. They do have a pretty surprising history, I guess, is one way to put it. (laughs) That's that's one way to put it, for sure. Everything I read about this cult was one surprise after another. I know, which... It pains me that I can't even remember how did
1: I find out about the house of David, <laughs> but we should say what the house of David is, which, or was, is, was, kind of both. It's famously or infamously a commune in Benton Harbor, Michigan, where they adhere to very strict rules to get eternal life. Throughout its existence, it has had thousands of followers, definitely millions visited the commune. A quote that I thought was interesting as a sort of intro to this commune that I got from, I believe, the Detroit Free Press was, for years, they had their own zoo and amusement park, their own electricity plant, their own hospital, their own schools, and dozens of their own businesses. They built elaborate mansions to house all their followers. And they even fielded one of the most popular baseball teams in the country at one time. And they, for the most part, people of Benton Harbor have pretty fond regard for this commune. That's definitely what it seems like.
0: I, being one to go directly to the source, have looked up their websites. That's plural. We'll get to that in a second.
1: The one I saw, the font was like ginormous, which I thought was super funny because it was like, clearly this website was built by a boomer, right?
0: Yes. And it's not very technologically advanced. It feels like a slight step up from 90s websites. Angel fire. Yeah. Just because I wanted to see what they wanted us to know about. And they wanted us to know that people came from all over America, also from Australia and England. And they claim to be part of the 144,000 people who were redeemed from Earth, according to Revelations 14.3. Isn't that the
1: same? Maybe that's how I found them. But isn't that the same idea as um, the Jehovah Witnesses? It's Yeah, I think it is very similar. Oh, yeah, because they're Adventists. They're all Adventists, Mm. which we'll get to. We'll get to.
0: Yes. From the website, Benjamin decided the best way to foster good public relationships was to provide public entertainment. Oh, boy. Sounds like almost every uh, sociopathic cult leader idea I've ever heard, if I ever heard one. It definitely does. I mean, he definitely knew what he was doing, right? Like he, He made the right decisions. I mean, he laid the groundwork for Scientology. <laughs> right. He laid the groundwork for a lot of things. And there were some claims on the website that I did not necessarily believe. But I also guess I didn't not believe them. It's hard to say. I'm not sure if. They really invented the first sugar cone, for instance. Oh, yeah, that's a little sus. It seems a little sus, but at the same time, perhaps they invented one, someone else invented one, and throughout history, it became what it is today. That's like the French dip
1: sandwich in L.A. Hmm. There's like two restaurants both claim to be the originators of the French dip and both have like apocryphal stories of how they invented it. And you're like, clearly this was just a sandwich people were eating at the time. And at some point they realized if they created a
0: story, it made their marketing better. There are some other things they claim to have invented the automatic pin setter in bowling alleys. Oh, that's a good invention. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty random though. And also it may be one of those situations where that seems like a pretty practical thing. So anyone who's running a bowling alley at the time probably is having that on their mind a little bit. Well, I
1: think I'll come up again, but they were also huge proponents of electricity and finding ways to use electricity. So I kind of I maybe I kind of believe
0: this pin setter I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. They did have a pre-Disney amusement park, which is pretty revolutionary, perhaps. I don't know. I guess I'm not sure what the history of amusement parks is, though.
1: Yeah, because Coney Island's probably been there. Coney Island, I think we can all classify as amusement park. It was definitely had
0: to be pre-Disney, right? For reference, let's look it up. It seems like it was right around the same time. So I think these kind of things were all coming of age at the same time. Yeah, because we also had the World's Fair happening. The World's
1: Fair, while it was more of a temporal, is that the word, sort of structure, like not expected to last long. But it was the same idea of how do we draw a bunch of people and create amusement related things. Yeah, I think this was just like a trend at this time, 100%.
0: Makes sense. They also, as Bridget will mention later, claim to have somewhat developed cold storage and preserving jellies in jars, which seems very sus. Really? Yeah.
1: I like how skeptical you are of these guys, which I don't understand why, why can't you let them have these things?
0: You know what I think it is? is because I never heard of them. So how the fuck are they the first people to put jellies in jars? How? Well, it's probably... So the claim is they were the first ones to preserve them in jars? I thought those claims were interesting, but I was skeptical. And I don't know why I'm so skeptical, but I am... You want to see the patents. I guess I do. Yeah, you can't put on your website
1: you invented a bunch of things without also posting your patents.
0: You know, I think that's probably it because I was looking at their own propaganda and it felt like propaganda. Yeah.
1: And it's it's even easier when you're looking at a site that looks like it was made in like 1996 America online. So... Yeah, I I would be skeptical of that information, too. So in case you're probably wondering what kind of man would or woman or person would start this kind of cult. And his name was Benjamin Purnell, which sounds like the most Puritan name, doesn't it? Yes, he definitely could have been at the Salem Witch Trials. Thank you. That's exactly what I thought Oh. And you'll agree, too, as we tell you more details about this guy. He was known as being a former brewmaker and a traveling preacher from Kentucky. He married his wife, Mary, in Ohio, while he was also married to another woman in Kentucky.
0: I don't think we need to say this, but it doesn't seem very Christian to marry another woman while you're already married. Yeah, I don't know how you justify
1: that. I mean, I know how you can lie about it and how he would lie about it, but it's a very red flag for his preaching days. That's kind of how I feel. So Mary and Benjamin traveled the Midwest selling brooms and selling the word of Christ. Eventually, they joined a Detroit commune whose leader, Prince Mike, proclaimed himself as the seventh messenger, the last of a series of divine Emissaries. Emissaries. Emissaries.
0: I like that Molly talks to people who read, and I just read a lot. <laughs> you know what? It might be partially that I do like the audiobook occasionally. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about the, how that would be a benefit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I think you've just pushed me into getting one of these audiobooks.
0: The reason I got into it was more of a commuter thing. So it makes sense that you would not necessarily do that automatically. Well, that's how I got into podcasts.
1: But lately, I've been like kind of breaking from my regular podcast. But I'm like, maybe I should start listening to books. Yeah. And then it's like I'm reading and I could tell people how smart I am because I read a book. There you go. Basically... This idea of the seventh messenger was forecasted by the biblical book of Revelation. The couple were attracted to these types of sects of Christianity known as the House of David. It was a continuation of a millennium religious sect, which began in 18th century England with Joanna Southcott's vision. She had been chosen to start preparing the world for the second coming of Christ. The sect was spread by the Israelites to the United States in 1844. And I think knowing that provides more information on some of the choices that the cult and commune made for themselves. Yes.
0: And also, it somewhat explains why people from England and Australia would come to visit the cult because. They were part of the larger sect of Christianity.
1: Yeah, it was a big movement. And maybe, hopefully, we'll do more episodes on other related cults. But I would say this idea of the House of David and the Israelites sets the foundation for a lot of 20th century religions. Definitely. While being part of this Detroit commune, one day Purnell stunned an 1895 prayer service by saying, I am the seventh messenger. (laughs) So he kind of (laughs) trumps Prince Mike. Yikes. He continues with, fire and brimstone await those who doubt me. This got him and his wife denounced from the group, but it, it really didn't slow down Purnell and his religious aspirations. He went on to actually create an outline of his ideology that has been cited to also be influenced from the Nazarites, Is that how you would say that? I would think so. That would be my guess <laughs> in the Bible, and that's because they had these rules which we will talk about how they connect to this cult at large, but one of them being you can't cut your hair, you can't drink wine, and you have to avoid corpses. The corpse thing. It's kind of funny and interesting because I was reading this article. I was like, weird note to make, Yeah. But then I went on to read that around this same time that the couple is creating this ideology, they skipped out on the funeral of their 16-year-old daughter in
0: Fostoria, Ohio. I am extremely disturbed by that. I did not read that. Uh, What? (laughs) That is (laughs) freaking messed up. And another red flag in the red flags for Benjamin Pernell. Good grief. (laughs) And so,
1: like I mentioned about the House of David, it is an Adventist cult. Um, And part of the idea also related to the Adventist cult is that it's seeking to reunite the 12 tribes of Israel, which is why you have those Israelites going out. And the idea is that you're waiting in anticipation of Jesus returning to earth in the new millennium. In 1903, the preacher moved with his wife to Benton Harbor, which is where the majority of our information probably revolves around. And there Is where they built the commune that we previously mentioned, which they called the Israelite House of David. And they got this land from a follower. Follower actually donated this land to them. So this is this classic cult. (laughs) By 1916, they had over 1,000 followers. And Purnell was great at mass marketing. He, this is like reported in 1914 in the Chicago Tribune that he was mailing out pamphlets and books all over the world to possible converts. So he kind of paved the way for those guys knocking at your doors, asking you if you've heard the good word of their Lord Jesus Christ.
0: He is the forefathers of early marketing executives. If TV had been invented, he definitely would have
1: been a televangelist. Oh, yeah. And newspapers would eventually dub him King Ben and his wife, Queen Mary.
0: I was surprised by Prince Mike, and now I am doubly surprised by King Ben and Queen Mary. That is, I feel like that's a cult red flag. Yeah. If someone's giving
1: you a title of nobility and you do not participate in any sort of governmental practices except for the ones that you made up, That no one else belongs to except for a small group of followers or even a thousand followers. I think there's a lot you need to question. Absolutely. So, another part of this cult, and we've kind of mentioned it, they had strict beliefs. So, they definitely, there was no smoking and no drinking, but there was also no meat because killing is a sin, which meant that they kept to vegetarian diets.
0: One of the claims that I read also was that they created many original recipes for vegetarian meals, which they served at their restaurants. I would love
1: to see one of their cookbooks.
0: Yeah, it would be really interesting.
1: They also skipped going to war. So at this time, I think World War I was going on, but they skipped war because they can't kill anyone. I think that's fair. Another fun rule was no sex.
0: Sex was thought as a sin even for procreation. That sounds like a bad time, especially knowing what's coming up next. I don't understand this. What? Well, I also don't understand it. So if no one's procreating, we're just all okay if that's the end of humanity. If you already believe this is the end times, maybe creating more life isn't really what you're going for. Yeah, that also makes sense.
1: What a bummer. And because it was a sin for procreation, married couples actually thought of themselves more like brothers and sisters.
0: Do you think Benjamin Purnell thought that? No way.
1: But we're going to get to more details about Benjamin and some of his choice decisions that I think this was a control tactic we really should do a jim jones episode but i believe jim jones i think jim jones and both david koresh were like very demanding about who their followers could sleep with and couldn't sleep with like i believe both of them like i think david koresh was like more similar to this because i think david koresh's cult is a branch of yeah it's a branch of House of David. So his was similar, very similar to this. And Jim Jones, I believe he told followers like, these two people could sleep together and these two people could sleep together despite whatever their marriage ties were. Oh, goodness. So it's just another way I think of controlling people or even like Nexium. Oh, see, this is a cult. If people are telling you what to do with your sexuality in your church or religion, I think you got to question it. Unless unless it's harmful sexual stuff, like they're trying to prevent that, like saying, you know, you have to consent. People have to be of age. But if they're telling you who you can sleep with inside and outside of your marriage or telling you what your sexuality is, despite whatever your feelings of that is, please get out. Yeah, I think that's a good rule to follow. And one of our more favorite fun, cute rules of this cult commune is no haircuts. There's, I believe it was Leviticus passage. that says that men shouldn't cut their hair or beards. So that means you saw a lot of these members with long hair and braids. There's also a funny thing that the Chicago Tribune pointed out, which most everywhere I think I read in my research, and I'm sure it's similar for you, Molly, It was about God and what the Bible said. But what's interesting about this society is this quote I pulled. So an attorney who headed the House of David explained the group's premise to officials in 1939. By the Tribune's account, the attorney said his colony is devoted to educational and scientific advancement. Members wear their hair and beards long, he said, because they believe they can absorb electricity from the air with their long hair and electricity is just as important as food. That definitely takes that a step further. So I think we hear a lot about the God aspect of this community. But I think when you think about the amusement park and how they had their own electric company, and the technologies they were capable of doing, I think there was a high value of education,
0: yeah, yeah, it does seem like it, but at the same time, well uh, you you can't absorb electricity from the air, so that part kind of doesn't work. Sorry, guys, with static electricity, then, okay, you can. <laughs> I'm just
1: kidding. I'm just kidding. I think that has more to do with, um, I don't know, electricity's wild. And uh, I feel like we could talk. We could riff a long time on that.
0: Yes. I read that they couldn't get jobs at their local streetcar company because of their hair. So the House of David ended up purchasing controlling interest. Oh, wow. I like that. Yeah. You just Buy it up and then your conductors can wear their hair long. That's interesting. And you could do that
1: because, as we'll talk more about, or what we're going to lead into, is that everyone shared everything.
0: Yes. They consolidated their wealth. Every family signed a contract upon joining, surrendering all their wealth and belongings to the community, which One of the, I'm going to say red flag too many times in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) They walked so Jim Jones could run. The good thing about this cult was that members were free to leave whenever they wanted, but property was contractually non-refundable. That's fair. Is it though? Is it?
1: It's like Vegas, you know, you can go there, but it doesn't mean you're coming out
0: with all the stuff you went in with. Yeah? Okay. We're going to go into some of the more major scandals, but uh, some of the minor scandals that happened at the beginning of the the cult's existence were just lawsuits beginning in 1907 regarding families trying to recover their finances from the House of David. Oh, wow. So
1: that started early into the cult's existence because... As I said before, it started in 1903. So four years in, you already have people pissed off.
0: Yeah, I think that just happens when you ask for all of their property and wealth. Feels like a fair side effect. At times, Mary Ann Benjamin issued refunds. But all of this negative press did cause them to reorganize their association into a voluntary religious association which held the property in a trust for the community. So that's a good thing in terms of the property isn't directly being owned by Mary and Benjamin. Oh, that's good.
1: It's in the community's name, essentially. Yes. Like an LLC or
0: something. Exactly. But it was because of negative press. Before that, it was just Mary and Benjamin own all your stuff. Yeah, but
1: that... I still think that's interesting that the negative press had enough effect for them to change in that way, because I believe with like other cults are usually more brazen or maybe not as trusting. I don't know. I feel like maybe Mary was really cool. I didn't read a lot about Mary, but just because of what we read about Benjamin and what happens later Mary, I think Mary probably really believed in the cause.
0: That's very possible. I was also thinking that they had a lot of goodwill in the community, as Bridget already mentioned, and we'll see that come up time and time again. So they don't want to piss people off.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like their group is entirely motivated by greed. Yes. And now that I think about that, I don't know if Benjamin was necessarily motivated by greed. Yeah. Ooh. I read that they also had a booming economy because they shared everything. So it's kind of like almost like a mini communism sort of group where, well, I guess commune, duh. but it helped the group thrive because we're all sharing the same wealth as opposed to letting people suffer for the sake of capital. The group had their own island. Did you read that? I did not. And that was inside of Lake Michigan, High Island. That's where they procured the lumber that they needed. They also had over a thousand acres of farmland. Because of this, they claimed to have the world's largest farmers market. As Molly had mentioned, they did have a cold food storage building, but they claimed it was the world's largest. Which, given the fascination of electricity and their involvement with their own agriculture, I believe that the jar thing, apocryphal.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It is such a fascinating cult. One of the big positives to come out of the cult was a very large music culture. Almost every member was involved in some sort of musical expression which sounds very pleasant yeah i saw a cool picture it was like all women in a jazz band yeah yeah they had from their own accounting there were men's bands women's bands children's bands all sorts of things but it wasn't just for their own personal enjoyment, they had several bands touring the United States between 1906 and 1927. In 1920, a 20-piece marching band is photographed in New York City. Later that year, they do divide into two different jazz bands, which are called, I couldn't tell if this was they are both called or one of them was called the Cinco Pep Serenaders, which you can find. Lots of flyers with that name on them we gotta bring back the word syncopep syncopep I don't think that's a word isn't that just like a put together word a put together word <laughs> that's not the word one of
1: those you know synco syncope is a word that has a couple definitions, one of them being the temporary loss of consciousness oh no. Caused by a fall in blood pressure, so that must have been is the pun there that like they were
0: so good they 'll make you pass out. I have no idea because a few recordings of House of David bands exist, so a lot was lost, so there's multiple bands touring America and also performing on vaudeville circuits because there's also comedians and actors and all sorts of creatives that claim House of David associations or that the Israelite House of David claims for themselves. Who
1: knows? Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, they're one of us. You see that guy really great on the sex? Yeah, he's a uh, he's definitely a single serenader. Yep. Louis Armstrong. He's with us.
0: I did see a claim that they toured with. John Philip Sousa at some point Sousa just needed a band and they were like yeah we'll give you our band and then after that they're like
1: yeah he's in our religion
0: however there are some artifacts from the era replica of stuff that comes out of this music culture and one of them is a song called House of David Blues which was published in 1923 and it's a jazz standard, if you will. Oh, my God. Is that where House of Blues comes from? Uh,
1: no, I doubt it. After the scandal, they're like, we got to take the David out of this shit.
0: No way. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm going to start telling people that. Oh, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. This song was written by one Elmer Shovel who claimed later that the song was written in one hour. I believe that.
1: I think people are still good at that. But like back then you could write a song and you could kind of plagiarize. Like a lot of music was way more plagiarized back then than now. Because like now we have all these recordings and all these records of music. But like back then, you could write a song in five minutes, tell everyone you made it up. But really, half of it's like an old folk song. I feel like I've heard that on my weird music podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, that reminds me of the happy birthday thing, too. Oh, yeah. The other important thing that came out of this music culture was a man named Ephraim Hannaford, who did leave the House of David in the 20s, but was a well-known trombonist who recorded with several bands as a session musician do you know that name no i don't i wonder how many jazz people do but i would imagine that if you looked back on the records like if you had the original records his name would be on it yeah
1: yeah i believe it i was just trying to like Let's see if I could like conjure up. Like, do I remember seeing that marching band or concert band? Oh, sure. Or even jazz band? I was in all three, baby.
0: Yeah. I was a jazz band too, actually. What'd you play in jazz band? I played piano just for a uh, season or something.
1: Yeah, I I did pick a little flute and then I tried to quit. And my band instructor was like, Why do you want to quit? And I was like, it's not as fun as I thought it was going to be, but I didn't say that. I was like, I'm just so busy. is what
0: I said. But in my head, I was like, this thing kind of actually blows. I had a lot of fun in jazz band, but I just wasn't very good. I wasn't
1: good. And the people who were in it weren't fun there. I said it. So if we were in jazz band together, I probably thought you weren't fun.
0: (laughs) I bet they're very fun people now. (laughs) Oh, Molly's face. If you could see it, it was very caring.
1: She felt that sting for you. I did. So another favorite pastime of the commune was baseball. They started getting into baseball from what I read, and this could be apocryphal. Was they started doing it as a distraction from celibacy. That's depressing. That's the only word for it, right? I mean, Yeah, if you want to have sex, you should just have sex. The sexual suppression is very terrifying, but I think it's an amusing detail as we get into more about the baseball team. As, As I'll talk more, they're kind of like these goofy athletic guys who are also very virginal. Sure. Yeah. No,
0: that is that's kind of what I read as well.
1: Although I, I maybe that makes you more immature. Maybe that's why they were so good at these other things, such as Game of Pepper, which is doing fun tricks during baseball games, like really gimmicky stunts. Basically, they were baseball's Harlem Globetrotters of the 1910s, 20s, and I believe also 1930s. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it goes on for a real long time. Um, they
1: did play on the semi-pro circuit. Now, part of the reason why they couldn't play professionally, and what also is another detail of how goofy these guys were is that they had these long hair and beards while playing baseball, and in the 1910s. You couldn't play professional baseball without having a clean look. So that was basically why they were kept out of the league. So you would go to like a semi-pro game and watch these guys with like long hair, not having sex, doing fun baseball tricks.
0: It's kind of like hanging out with comedians. Ayo. It's part of their vaudeville act, too. Who knows? Exactly. And they were
1: really good too. They had high winning average, beating many pro teams or the semi-pro teams they played. Um, They would often finish seasons without losing a game. They also had a successful women's baseball team, but I had read it was rumored that there were some male players disguised as women, which I found to be interesting because then that means they had to have
0: shaved their beards. And how biblical is it to be lying? Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. I had also read that there were some male players, but I didn't think about the the fact that they would have had to shave and lie. So these guys seem very fast and loose. Well, it definitely seemed like there were some people out there who wanted to, well, from what I read, it was like the guys who had played in the women's baseball team were like, I just wanted to play.
1: I had read that's why some people had joined the cult was so they could play baseball. Ah, yes. And they often played the, this is what it's called. (laughs) I don't know why I say like that, which shows you just like how white I am. But the Negro League, they played that league a lot because
0: that's like as close as you could get to playing like major leagues. I have listened to many hours of podcasting about the Negro League because of Greg Proops. Actually, he's very uh, verbose about it.
1: The comedian? The improviser? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have guessed that. Yep. He's a big baseball fan and there's a Negro League Hall of Fame. Yeah. And he was actually there as one of the presenters one year. Oh. Because he's so into it. Aside, send me that podcast. Oh, yeah. You would like it a lot, actually. He's a funny guy, and he has a little very progressive politics. And we saw him live in Washington, D.C. It was fun. He had Planned Parenthood of Washington, D.C. there. Oh. So we could donate money and stuff. Love it. I just wanted to mention some of the Negro League teams that the House of David played against. Because it's kind of fun. The Pittsburgh Crawfords, the Baccarat Giants, the Newark Eagles, and the Homestead Grays.
1: And Baccarat, that would have been before the musician, right? I have no idea. Yeah, Baccarat was like a musician in the 70s. Huh. Yeah.
0: Well, it must be, I would imagine it's a location, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Though at the same time, Homestead would just be like somebody's homestead that they're playing for. Yeah, but it must be central. I mean,
1: back then you probably had all kinds of weird names for towns because there were sort of these mini booms across the country with the railway system. So, like my mom's hometown, for instance, that was a booming town in like the late 1800s, I think into the early 1900s and then as the railway industry changed, people left town and as other industries changed, now like only a few hundred people live there and its town name is (laughs) Wachir or as they pronounce it, Wachir, but it's spelled like (laughs) Wachir. That's a fun city name,
0: fun town name. Oh yeah. It looks like Bacharach is originally a German town, but that definitely means that someone in America was like, let's create our, our German homestead. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. They traveled extensively through the 1930s with the Kansas City Monarchs. And in 1939, they even played two months with Satchel Paige's All-Stars. And I know Satchel Paige also from Greg Proops because he was up the best. He was very good. A big deal. Was he white? No, he's black. That's why I thought. That's why. Yeah.
1: Cool. Which is so that's pretty revolutionary for this group. But Molly, I think it's time to tell our dear listener about the dark side. No. Why is there always a dark side? I mean, I would have joined this cult and then what we're about to cover. I definitely do not want to join this cult. So kind of early on, rumors started happening, focusing on Benjamin Purnell. One of them being that at the 1910 World's Fair, women reported to have seen the preacher enter the girls' tent. So we're talking girls, like not women, girls. And in the tent, he would have them dance for him in their night clothes, which I can't imagine. I was gonna say I can't imagine night clothes being very sexy, but obviously not sexy at all because they're girls. But also, they were probably like wearing moos, right? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would think. But also, it I would think at the time, would it wouldn't it just be like you shouldn't. Be seen in your night clothes. You shouldn't be seen in your
1: night clothes, and a grown ass man who is not your father should definitely not be seeing you in your night clothes. Yes. Now the authorities tried to go after Purnell, but he was really hard to pin down for questioning. He had a way of always disappearing from authorities when they would come looking for him. In the 1920s, however, a group of 13 young women reported that the leader, Purnell, slept with them when they were all underage. There were accounts that some of the women were as young as 10 years old. That's horrifying. It's also horrifying because they manipulated them into saying that they had to do it for their salvation
0: and that sleeping with him would purify them. Now, that doesn't make any sense. So. In 1923, the formal charges were made. But I don't know how long it took because
1: the multiple sources I saw were like in the 1920s, it was reported this. But it could have taken, if it was hard to question him and find him to bring about those formal charges, it might have been a year or two. I think that's
0: realistic. I could be wrong, but. Yeah, I think that perhaps these stories were going around Women are trying to report this to the authorities. Nothing's happening. So what do you do? You have to press formal charges at that point.
1: Yeah. And those charges were based on, and this is like a quote of the time, a foundation of deceit, immorality, and
0: fraud. And this sex scandal and other charges Are all coming about in the midst of many grievances simmering in the community. So, Benjamin and Mary, and many of the other public facing people of the colony, were presenting this very elegant lifestyle where the people who were everyday working may have felt a little bit uh,
1: used. So, while these accusations are happening, you're saying. There's also a class difference happening in their community.
0: Yes. The reason why we're putting all of this together is because I think, spoiler alert, both of these things happening at the same time is the downfall of the cult. Yeah. It's just too much stress. Yes, too much stress. So we have the sexual assault allegations, but then we also have the... Foundation of Deceit, Immorality and Fraud. And one particular family, the Hansel family, were one of the families who sought financial damages, claiming they had been fraudulently induced to become colony members. And then they were later coerced to leave, which we know you can do, but then you give up all your property. So they had suffered financial hardship and wished to reclaim some of their money. Good for that. Yes. They did get a settlement, but they were also involved in a claim that the religion itself was fraudulent. Aye, aye, aye. In 1926, Michigan state troopers raided Benjamin Purnell's home and arrested him along with several others. This is kind of like ongoing through the 1920s, all this stuff. In 1927, the Detroit Free Press published that there was an offering of 5000 for Benjamin's capture. Which seems like quite a bit at the time, but many in the community raised funds for his bail and petitioned for his defense because he has such goodwill in the community. So in 1927, that's what we're talking. Yes.
1: $5,000 is equivalent to about $78,449. That
0: is quite a lot. Yeah, that's huge.
1: So there was clearly multiple trials going on. One of them allegedly had 300 witnesses, 15,000 pages of transcripts, and reams
0: of national news coverage. That is quite a lot. I did read that some compared this trial to Sacco and Benzetti. What's that? Yeah, You're, uh, uh, It's an anarchist trial. Put it on the list. In
1: 1927, Pernell was only charged with one count, and that was fraud, baby. And he died of tuberculosis right before sentencing. So he's like the only guy. So every time you watch one of these trials of these like perverts and cult leaders at the trial, they're always like in a wheelchair or like, claiming dementia or sickness.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And Benjamin Purnell was like the OG, but he was like, no, I'm really sick, guys. And
0: he really was sick. And he really was. The House of David would like you to know that the state Supreme Court overturned the ruling of the religious fraud because they would like to keep going as a religion.
1: (laughs) They're like, the bad guy's dead now. Can we keep playing? (laughs)
0: Exactly, exactly. But as I talked about before, all of this pressure, the economic fraud stuff, and the sexual assault allegations, all were just too much for this community.
1: And it actually broke the cult into two main factions after the passing of Benjamin Purnell. We had one group which was led by a commune judge and the other group was led by Mary Purnell as I previously mentioned Benjamin's wife and she changed the name to
0: Mary's City of David when I read that I was really surprised because I feel like if you name something that obvious you're admitting at that point that you're a cult because you would like to be worshipped in a Way that's above what is happening.
1: I mean, you're in the cult, but if everybody's just like playing jazz music and baseball. Yeah. It's not necessarily a bad cult. It's just when you got like someone like Benjamin there touching your daughters.
0: But then you also have to talk about, I mean, we don't know this for a fact, but if Benjamin and Mary before he died were living a more luxurious lifestyle, you may be able to point to some financial fraud at least.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Some abuse of power there. Yeah,
0: abuse of power. It's noted 214 followers followed Mary to Mary City of David, which was nearly exactly half of the colony at the time. It's not that huge at this point then. So it's less than 500 people.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that turmoil I was reading plummeted their (laughs) their, uh, people stock.
0: Oh, yes, yes. And that makes a lot of sense. Especially if there's a verdict of religious fraud. And then even if it's overturned, that verdict is going to definitely put a dent in your membership. You've got some explaining to do. It is fun to note, though, that Mary's City of David also had a baseball team. Oh, they even toured with the House of David's baseball team. So they weren't on terrible terms.
1: Yeah, so the, the other cult just retained the original name. Yes. But they both had baseball teams. Do you think they traded players? I have no idea, probably. I didn't do a deep dive into this, but from what I was reading both of these factions still coexist today in Benton Harbor?
0: Yes. What I read was as of 2010, the House of David was reported to have three surviving members. They both have existing websites, as I mentioned. The House of David specifically says they are not open to the public. But Mary City of David does have a museum, which you can go visit. And appointments are not required, but strongly suggested.
1: But if you're near Ben Harbor, please go and take a picture and tag us. It sounds
0: fascinating. I would love to see your photos. Yeah. The House of David was recently in the news because one of the House of David trains from the amusement park. We didn't really go into the amusement park, but there were a few trains that would take people around the park. Very Disney World, Disneyland-esque. Walt Disney had to have visited this cult. That's very possible. So two brothers who are sons of deaf mutes would go to the House of David gatherings when they were younger. So their parents would go to the gathering and the kids would be able to go to the amusement park. So they had fond memories of riding these trains and they heard that the House of David was having financial troubles and selling its trains. They bought two to restore after one was sold to a group in Finley, Ohio, because they wanted to keep the trains in Michigan. They did end up restoring one of the trains and they placed it in a lobby of a building in Benton Harbor. But these brothers were getting up in age and they knew that they weren't going to get the second train up and running, so they decided in 2021 to donate it to the Michigan Flywheelers Museum. So if you want to, if you're interested in trains, old fashioned trains, you can go visit this museum and see what the House of David was doing. Well, they probably have a longer summer season. Yeah, I would imagine.
1: Or I mean, they'll be open. They'll be open. You can go in a week. (laughs) Yes. Get over to Benton Harbor first and then second, you can go to the Michigan Flywheelers Museum priorities. Well, thank you, Molly, for going down this fun cult hole
0: (laughs) with me. It was very fun. And I am. It's interesting to see one sect of the Adventists when you know that there are so many others. And it's just so interesting that they all have not all of them, but there's some sketchy history associated with Adventist sex. (laughs) Sex. Sex. Leave that in. Okay,
1: fine. That was great. I was like, whoa. Uh, I didn't realize there was like, I mean, I guess there would be a lot of sex scandals because (laughs) religion always does have lots of those, but you mean S E C T? Yes, I meant the (laughs) sect. The sect itself. Oh, uh, that was great. That's a good good place to go
0: into our lovely outro. Um, Molly, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Molly 9 How
1: about you? You can find me on those same platforms at Bridget underscore suck it. You can find this podcast there too at sex with underscore. Um, if you want to show your support, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That is just a way to tell people we are a real podcast. And you can support us more on patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. Kind of like Taylor. Yes, just like our new friend Taylor. And you can also join us for our live stream, as we mentioned in future live streams at Twitch.tv slash sw
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye. Bye.